Well, you just sang it. The question is, will you do it? If he teaches you his way, will you follow it? And I say that because we have a tough passage of Scripture this morning to look at in 1 Peter 3. And it's not always an easy one to accept or to follow. But if you really want him to teach teach you his way, then this is a good opportunity to put that into practice. You know, when Moses was at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 33, he made three requests of the Lord. He said, first of all, consider that this people is your people. And secondly, he said, if your presence will not go with us, do not lead us up from here. And the third one was, teach me your ways. And Moses learned the ways of God. He knew that God does things to glorify his name, to accomplish his purposes, to enhance his reputation so that when his name is used, people will see him for who he really is. Teach me thy way. It's a great song and it's a great prayer. We're looking at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 this morning. And before we get into it, I I, I just want to have a word of prayer with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this sentiment that we just sang. We ask that you would take away any barriers, any obstructions to our obedience, and that you would help us to see in these verses what your will is for your church. I ask, Father, that you will take me out of the way. I am unworthy to even open your word, and yet you are worthy, and your word is worthy. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let's just jump right into the hard stuff with verse 1. Now, Mark Preston last week told, taught us about submission to our employers, to our masters, and so on, this idea of submitting. And now we've gone from preaching to meddling. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, whenever we look at a principle in Scripture, we should ask ourselves, where does this start? Where does it come from? And in this case, we have to go all the way back to Genesis, as we usually do to find out the, the, the sources of the truths in God's Word. So this is Genesis 3.16, and this is after the fall, after uh, Eve has succumbed to the temptations of Satan and then... Uh, brought her husband into that sin as well. And God is proclaiming the consequences on all three, on Adam, on Eve, and on the serpent. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That's a serious consequence. And that consequence for sin has never been abrogated. It's never been taken away. This is God's plan for his people, for his family, for his church. In 1 Corinthians 14, we read these words. As in all the churches of of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. 
The law also says this. Well, where is the law? (laughs) It's in the Pentateuch, right? And in the Pentateuch, we have Genesis. And it takes us all the way back to Genesis 3.16. There's a principle here. Now, we've been reading in 1 Peter, obviously, it's the Apostle Peter teaching. Now we're talking about the Apostle Paul teaching. And Genesis, we're talking about the Lord himself setting a rule. There are groups today, unfortunately, whose primary concern is deconstructing the faith of people, of getting them to do, you know, just dispel or dismiss parts of Scripture. They would claim that Paul was a misogynist, so you don't have to pay any attention to his epistles and and all of these kinds of things. And all they're trying to do is destroy the faith of our young people and hopefully not of us. So it's good that God put this, first of all, in Genesis, then in the writings of Peter, and now in the writings of Paul. So lest we should say, well, I don't have to pay attention to the writings of Paul, now you have to deal with Peter. (laughs) And if you say, I don't have to deal with, I don't have to pay attention to what Peter says, now you have to deal with God. So any way you look at it, this is a principle that God has never taken away. Again, he says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Isn't it interesting that now the apostle uh, Paul gives us some insight into why this is so important. You see, when women take it upon themselves to do the husband's role instead of the, the husband taking on that responsibility, then he will step back and he will not do what is his responsibility in the church, in the family, whatever it happens to be. But if wives ask their husbands to explain Scripture and the principles of God to them, the husband has to study. He has to be the one who becomes the authority on what God's Word says in the family. So ladies, when you, when you kind of step into the husband's role, you are damaging his motivation to be a spiritual leader in the home. And God doesn't want that. In Ephesians 5, 22 and, and 25 and 32 to 33, we, we read this. And I, I put parts of this in yellow. That's the lady's part. Parts of it in blue. That's the man's part. Hopefully you can see it all. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wow, that's a pretty important contrast and, and comparison, isn't it? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow, that's a sacrificial life, even to the point of death for our wives, if we're following Christ's example. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And some of you have been through the Love and Respect series by Egerton. It's an excellent series. If you haven't been through it, I would I would highly recommend that you go through it as a couple. But you see, God has these roles established for us. 
So we go back to the beginning. Likewise, lives, be subject to your own husbands. And then he goes on to explain again why. So here Peter says, so that even if some do not obey the word, that is, when the husbands do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You know, that kind of puts a responsibility on the part of the wife to live in subjection to her husband as she lives in subjection to Christ. Because if he's not a believer, his salvation may depend on that. It may be her demonstration of Christ's love and so on to her husband that actually brings him to Christ. Paul says the same thing in, in 1 Corinthians seven thirteen and 16. He says, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Now, obviously, a wife can't save her husband, but she can lead him by her behavior into a position of conviction before the Lord so that he accepts Christ. What an amazing responsibility and possibility. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So it goes both directions. Now, there are a number of places in Scripture where this concept of submission comes up, and we've looked at several of them already. But there's one that I want to focus on a little bit because it is extremely misunderstood. Now, as I'm talking to you, I'm telling you my understanding from my study of Scripture as to what this means. Uh, There are other interpretations, and it's up to you to be a Berean and to go in and figure out what does this Scripture say. But I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 16. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. You see, there's a hierarchy here. The head of man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Now, I don't think any of us would dispute this statement, right? The head of a wife is her husband. This is the way God has established it in his hierarchy, in his order, in order so that the husband takes on the responsibility of spiritual leadership, which is rightfully his, and that the wife encourages him to do that instead of stepping in and taking over. So this is the first of three arguments that Paul makes, and this is an argument for the head covering. Now, we do not have the the tradition in this particular uh, assembly of wearing head coverings, but there are women who do wear them in the assembly here. And, And I think it's important for us to understand what Paul teaches about them. So this is the first of three arguments. It's the argument of headship. So again, the head of man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And so we have then, finally, the head of Christ is God. Now, there is nothing cultural about this argument. This was established by God through the writings of the apostles, and as we've seen, goes all the way back to Genesis 3. So he goes on to say, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Who is his head? His head is Christ. Right? But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which is her husband. It is the same as if her head were shaved. In other words, if she's not willing to cover her head, then her hair should be shaved. Now, we're coming up to an understanding of why that is, but just a second. Uh, 
For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair and shave her head, let her cover her hair or her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Boy, here's a, a, a verse that has caused all kind of controversy. You know, since we have gotten the women's liberation movement in the 1960s and Gloria Steinem and all of that, the equality of men and women, which is absolutely established in Scripture, has made it untenable for women to acknowledge this hierarchy that man is the glory of God. Okay? And it goes on to say, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, this is the second of these three arguments that Paul is making. And first was the argument from headship. The second is the argument from glory. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. So now we have this argument from glory. Man is the glory of of Christ. The woman is the glory of man. And I'm sure we've all used or heard the term, never used it, I'm sure, trophy wife, right? The woman is the glory of man. And the woman's hair is her glory. So this argument of glory is parallel, if you will, to the argument, again, of headship. And it is not cultural, right? Okay, so this is the argument from glory. Man is the glory of God, should not cover his head, because he is the glory of God, should be seen. Woman is the glory of man, from verse 7, and a woman's hair is her glory. So when a woman covers her hair coming into, uh, say, a church service, she is hiding not only her glory, which is her hair, but she's hiding her husband's glory, which is her. And the only glory that is left uncovered is the man who is the glory of God. That makes sense. Not cultural. Reading on. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, boy, there's been a lot of different interpretations of this. What do the angels have to do with a woman covering her head? And typically what you hear is that the angels observe church order. And that's true. But I think there's a deeper meaning here, and here's where others may disagree with me. But here Paul is using what's called a logical enthymeme. An enthymeme. An enthymeme is an argument where we don't state the premises because we assume people know the premises. Okay? So let me give you an example. So here's the definition of an enthymeme, just so that you know what we're talking about. And this is common in writing. It's common in our speech. And I'll give you an Well, you see the example here. Mammals are animals, right? A dog is a mammal, therefore a dog is an animal. This is a, what's called a syllogism. A, then B, consequently C, right? But we could then, after saying that, say a cat is an animal. Why? Because mammals are animals and cats are mammals, so obviously a cat is an animal. 
right? So we've given another conclusion from the same premises, essentially, that we already gave. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. So let me, again, we, we these blue ones for the cat, we omitted. We don't need them because we've already established that a, ma- a mammal is an animal and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so what is this argument? The argument that Paul is making here is an argument from creation. He says, woman was created for man. No question about that, right? She was taken from the rib of man, and if God formed woman as a companion, a helpmeet for man, we know that in the scripture. So woman was created from man. Woman was created for man. It's not good that man should be alone, God said. So she was created for man. And therefore, women must, or woman must submit to man's authority. That's that symbol of authority, that head covering that he's talking about here, right? Now, where's the enthymeme? Well, if we take a parallel set of, of premises, angels were created by God, right? Angels were created for God, right? Therefore, angels must submit to God's authority. You see, when he says because of the angel, I believe he's saying that when a woman testifies to her her submission to her husband as he, she submits to Christ, she demonstrates to the angels that they have a responsibility to submit to God because he created them, they were created for him, and they must submit to his authority. This enthymeme gives us an idea of what the testimony is of the head covering. It testifies to angels. Now, you would say, well, of course angels are going to pay attention to God. They're, they're going to submit to God's authority. No. Satan didn't, and a third of the angels who followed him were cast out of heaven. So there is a reminder needed that the angels need to submit to the authority of God. And what is that reminder? It's the head covering that the woman wears in order to demonstrate her subjection to the one from whom she was created and for whom she was created, who is man. This is the third argument, and it is not cultural. Okay? Nevertheless, in the Lord... Now, I'm so glad these these uh, next verses are here. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, here's another problem that people have with this. Well, if she needs to have her head covered and her hair is given to her for a covering, doesn't that cover it? I mean, isn't... That was... Okay, isn't that satisfying the requirement? And the answer is, if you go back into the Greek, no, it is not. Because the word that is being covered or used for cover up to this point, up to this verse, is the word katakalupto, which means to veil, to hide. That's what is being required, that a woman hides her hair, which is her glory, right? So it's not a matter of her hair being given to her as a covering and having to cover it as well. How does that make any sense? 
Um, in Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, we read, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. That word robe there is the only other occurrence in the scripture where this other word, her hair is given to her for a covering, is used. And it's used of the sky and the glory of the heavens, and God is going to wrap them up like a robe. And that's that same second word. And that second word is the word parabolion. It's a decoration. It's it's a, a robe, an outer garment that is beautiful. And so her hair is given to her for a parabolion, a decoration, if you will, that wraps around her. Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Amen. When I get up in the morning and I get dressed... I look at myself in the mirror, I take out my comb, I comb my hair, and I'm done with it. When my wife gets up to get dressed, the process of getting her hair the way she wants it takes, I won't say hours, it takes quite a bit more time than it takes me to get my hair in order. Isn't that right, Larry? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, obviously, a woman's hair is her glory. So how can it be her glory and cover her glory at the same time? It can't be. So this word parabolion, which is only used one other time in Scripture, is the key to understanding the difference between covering her hair and her hair being her covering. It's not the same word. It's not the same concept. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, this is another um, verse that is questionable. Is he saying that we don't have any practice of head coverings in the church? Well, that wouldn't make any sense. He would he would essentially be saying, all this stuff that I just wrote to you doesn't really matter because we don't do it anyway. But in the Net Bible, there's an interesting translation of this. If anyone intends to quarrel about this, we have no other practice nor do the churches of God. You see, it's not he's not saying, we don't practice this, I just taught you all this, these three arguments for doing it, but we don't do it. No, that's not what he's saying. He said there are no other practices that we have other than this one, neither are there in the, in the church of God. Now, why did I go into all of that? That was a really big rabbit trail that we were covering. But you see, it demonstrates why submission of the wife is so important. And not only being submitted, and I'm sure that most of the wives here are submissive to their husbands before the Lord, but to show that submission physically with a head covering. Now, once again, we don't require that. That is a matter of personal um, conviction. And there are women who wear them here, and there are women who do not wear them here. And uh, the elders have not mandated that we that all the women wear head coverings. It's up to the individual woman. Now, First Peter, back to chapter 3. Look at what he says. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Now, is he forbidding these things? No, he's not forbidding them. He's saying don't let those become the things that people find attractive in you. Right? They're all external. You take them off at night, right? What is he saying? But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Wow. Let that be the attractive thing to you, women, that people are attracted because of your gentle and quiet spirit, your love, your your demonstration of your love for Christ and your love for other people. Let this be the attraction, not the outside things, right? They don't really mean anything. And those who are more wealthy can have more elaborate jewelry and so on and so forth, but that doesn't change the heart. And it shouldn't be the thing that makes that that we use to try to make ourselves attractive. It should be our spirits. It should be our obedience to Christ. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. No, we're not going to do that. But I do have a story for you. I have an iPhone. <clears throat> and you'll notice that my iPhone has a cover that is not only covering the back, it's covering the front as well. And there's a reason for that. Most of you who have an iPhone probably don't know that you can tell it to call you whatever you want. And at the time, I had arranged my iPhone so that it would call me my lord. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but... <laughs> It is possible to... All the guys are taking out their iPhones. Wait a second. <laughs> well, I was in a worship service one Sunday morning, and I didn't have this cover on my iPhone. I just had the, the classic one on the back of the iPhone. And it was in my front pocket, and I crossed my arms, and apparently my thumb knuckle hit the button that would trigger Siri. <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry, my Lord, I didn't hear that. <laughs> So, I got a case that doesn't allow that to happen. And I changed it. She calls me Your Majesty now, so. So, look at this. We are compared here to Abraham and Sarah, right? So, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. That was their adornment, not the braided hair and the, and the gold and silver and all that kind of stuff. It was by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham. We'll just forget the rest of that. But the idea is Sarah obeyed Abraham. Think of Abraham. God calls him to leave his home, go out into the desert to a place he's going to show him. Now... There are a lot of households where Sarah would be going, you want me to do what? But she submitted. She went with him. And God blessed them, even to the point of having an heir to the promises of God, Isaac. So Peter goes on to say, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now imagine you're 90 years old. And you have a visit from some visitors. And one of the things they do is tell you you're going to have a son. Say again. What? Now, would that be frightening? I passed this by my wife. She said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be frightening. But do we have anything to worry about in the Lord? Can, can women submit to their husbands and know that God will protect them? 
that God will watch over them, that they are ultimately, as are their husbands, accountable to God. Right? She's not accountable for her husband's behavior, but she's accountable for her own behavior. Now, this is the part the women like. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this is very hard for us. It's very hard for us to live with them in an understanding way. There was a story once about a couple of guys who were walking along uh, the beach, and one of them happened to kick something in the sand, and of course it was a genie's lamp, and a genie came out and said, thank you for freeing me from the lamp. Uh, I'll give you one wish. What would you like? And the guy said, well, you know, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I get airsick and I get seasick. Would you just build me a a highway to Hawaii so I can go to Hawaii? And the uh, genie said, that is so hard with all the swells and the the waves and storms and everything. That's Can you pick something else? And he said, I want to understand how my wife thinks. And the genie said, how many lanes do you want on that highway? (laughs) I mean... It is difficult for us men to live in an understanding way, but it is not difficult for us to live sacrificially. I came home from work one day, and it was a long day, and I was tired, and I got to the house, and Laura had some music going on in the house, and uh, the kind of music she listened to wasn't the kind of music I wanted to listen to at the time. I like jazz. Jazz is good, right? So I turned it to jazz. She didn't like that very much. And she complained about that, and when I left the room, she turned it back to her music. But then she thought, you know, I've been listening to music all day long. My husband's been working all day long. He, you know, he would enjoy listening to his music, so she turned it back to jazz, which was a a wonderful expression of her love for me. But at the same time, I'm thinking... You know, I'm supposed to sacrifice for my wife, and she doesn't like jazz as much as I did. So I went and turned it back to her music. (laughs) But living in an understanding way is learning our wives, learning what pleases them, learning how we can minister to them, to serve them, even to the point of sacrificing for them. That's living in an understanding way. Showing honor... To the woman. We'll get to the next phrase. Showing honor to the woman. What does that look like to show honor to a woman? You know, if we live back in the day of knights where chivalry was was um, uh, typical, uh, chivalry, they would doff their hats to the women. They would uh, ask for a, a handkerchief and then fight their battles for that woman who gave them a handkerchief. All these things that honored women in that society. And today, because of women's liberation and all these kinds of things, the, the ways that men used to show honor to women are not even acceptable today. Um, I still open the door for my wife. Uh, I still show her that I honor her in a number of different ways. But chivalry today is dead, except it shouldn't be within the body of Christ. We can demonstrate honor for our wives in a number of different ways. And I'll leave your creativity to determine how best you can do that in your family. But it doesn't take big things. It's little things. Holding the door, letting her go first, 
Uh, you know, all of these kinds of things. Asking her what she would like for dinner. You know, guys, if you cook, this is a good way to show honor to your wife, to cook. Give her a break. Now, that last phrase, as the weaker vessel. This is not claiming that she is the weaker vessel. This is telling you how you should treat her as if she was a weaker vessel. You know, the weaker vessels, if you look at pottery and those kinds of things, vases, Ming vases, they're very delicate. They're not real thick. They're not, you know, they're, they're very delicate. And that's the picture he's giving us here. Treat them as if they were the weaker vessel. <clears throat> but then he goes on, I love this, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They're in front of God and, and before God there is no difference. We are all co-heirs with one another and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. They are in, ladies, you are not in any inferior position. But you have a ministry that you can provide to your husband by helping him to be motivated to study the word of God and know it well. To the angels by showing to them that submission to your husband demonstrates the kind of submission they should continue to have toward God. You have a ministry by submission. And it's an important one. And for the us fellas... We're to treat them with honor. They are co-heirs with us of the grace of life. And if we don't, our prayers are going to be hindered. There was a theologian named Biggs who said, The size of a woman come between her husband's prayers and God. Isn't that amazing? Our prayers are hindered when we do not treat our wives with honor and with understanding. Those are critical parts in order for our wife to fulfill her responsibility of submission. Wow. Why was that so hard? I'm going to ask Lev if he would close him.